L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Yes. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. Oh, what up, everybody? Hey. How we doing? Doing good today. So excited about today's episode, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I always interview people who I think are interesting and cool, and I want to hear their story, but I very rarely interview people who are actually my friends, and I think that we do that for a couple reasons. One, I don't like to ask my friends to come on the show, because it's like, I gotta ask for a favor, you know? Eh, just, I don't do it. So I don't book this show. I have the good people over at iHeart book the show for me, and... You know, every once in a while, the stars will align and I'll get someone on the show who is like an actual friend of mine. And then it kind of raises the stakes for me because I don't want to sound stupid in front of my friends. <laughs> you know, I want them to think I'm good at this. Oh, God, they're going to judge me. But I'm not really worried about that because our guest today really is one of the most wonderful women I've ever met in the entire world. She is the sweetest, the nicest, the most talented. And she is a dear, dear friend of my fiance. And by rules of modern day relationships, if so fact so, she is now a close friend of mine. Her story is crazy. It wasn't the typical like grew up in Calabasas, uncle was a producer, got her on some show. No, she worked hard. Started off on a reality show that really focused on her singing. I think she kind of thought that was going to be her path until she realized that maybe music wasn't her passion and acting was. Very few people have been able to pivot from American Idol to lead of a very, very popular TV show. She was able to do it. Her story is bonkers. She's absolutely lovely. Let's get into it. One of my favorite people in the world, the star of The Bold Type, my Portuguese sister, Katie Stevens, here on the Wells Cast. Guys, this is one you are not going to want to miss. Stick around, baby. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? 
Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. cast uh this very rarely happens one because i don't have a lot of friends and uh two because i don't book the show myself and i would never ask my friends to be on the show but i am so excited i think this is the first time ever on the show that i'm legitimately friends with this person like she comes over to our house i went to her wedding and i cannot tell you how pumped i am to have the one and only Katie Stevens on the show. How are you? This is so fun. I like watching you do what you do. <laughs> yeah, you've never actually seen me like be professional, probably. Well, I mean, I've like watched you, you know, host carpets. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I've listened to your podcast, but like to be on it and like watching it is really fun. <laughs> I think you're the only friend of Sarah's that is referred to by both names. You are Katie Stevens. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's like a common theme for like many people, like many people call me Katie Stevens, but I think it's just because like 
it's easy to say, you know, like I still go by, even though I'm married, I still go by Katie Stevens. Cause like Katie D Giovanni is like really hard to say. Yeah. And like you spell that out for anybody and like, they don't know how to say it weirdly enough. To me, I attribute it to like the, the cool kids in school were the double name people. Oh, well that's weird. Cause I was not like a cool kid in school. <laughs> Well, you have blossomed because uh, you're doing pretty good. I feel like this is almost a bittersweet conversation that we get to have because I haven't seen you in a while and we get to talk about like your success, but also like this show, The Bold Type, which has been like this force on Freeform for so long is now finally coming to an end. Are you relieved that it's kind of getting wrapped up or are you bumming? It's a mixture. It's, I mean, bittersweet is the word that I've been using because, you know, it's sad to, it, it's it's more so that it's sad to not see those same people that you've seen forever. And, you know, I, I remember when I found out that it was the last season, I actually talked to Sarah, but Sarah had done, you know, a million more seasons. And I can't even imagine how infinitely greater that feeling is. But it is also, I feel really grateful that, you know, five seasons, a lot of people don't get five seasons. And then on top of that, to go into the final season, knowing it's the end and getting to like wrap it up, there's like some feeling that you get when you're on set where you're like, oh, I know this is ending. So I'm going to be really intentional and like present with all of these people so I can like soak in all of these moments. Yeah. Five seasons is a rarity these days in the entertainment industry or 11 for Sarah. So you have to be pumped about like the run of the show. COVID, I feel like played a big role in your guys' show. Like you guys were filming and then COVID hit and then you guys had to like stop and then like come back. Tell us about that experience because it seems wild. It was the middle of a work day. We had like 10 days left of filming our last two episodes of last season. And in the middle of one work day, I had to leave early because I was flying to LA for press. So I flew into LA I landed and my team was kind of like, you know, this COVID-19 thing is getting, you know, to seem pretty serious. Things might cancel, just like kind of be on your toes. Go through the day. The next morning I wake up and I do glam and everything at like 530 in the morning. And I get a call from my publicist at seven being like, everything has canceled. <laughs> You're here for no reason. And then production was calling because they needed me to get back on a plane to go back to Montreal in case they were closing the borders. And then I landed in Montreal and I was going through customs and our producer called me and was like, hey, um, you got to go home tomorrow because uh, everything's shutting down. We're shutting down production. So go back to your apartment, pack up your stuff and uh, we'll get you on a flight in the morning. And so I went back to my apartment and in the span of like three hours, packed up nine months of living in Montreal and went home the next morning. And it was so weird because like we had, we all were like so confused. So the whole cast that night, we like all got together and we were like, well, <laughs> don't know when we're going to see each other again. So might as well burn it down. So we all like drank tons of wine and like I made dinner and then we all left and didn't see each other for almost a year. Was there a thought that the show wouldn't survive COVID? Yeah. I mean, that was a that was a big fear, especially because we shoot the show in another country. So we didn't really know because because some one thing that I learned by being up there is, 
you're not following United States CDC guidelines, like you're following Canadian guidelines. And I know that they had closed the borders for a really long time. And then thankfully, a couple months before we were supposed to go up and shoot, they had opened the borders if you had a work permit. So we were thankfully able to like go back there. But I mean, the COVID protocols there were so intense. We left in the middle of April just now and they were still 8 p.m. curfews. All of the restaurants were closed. So for the 15 weeks that we were up there, we were just literally, thank God we all lived in the same apartment building, me and Megan and Asia, because we only saw each other. But if I didn't have that, like I wouldn't be able to do anything. I, I would have died. We all know I'm very social. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow night is the beginning of the end. Are you going to experience and absorb the show differently now that it's the last season? I mean, I, I actually, because I'm, I'm in L.A., so I, I mean, maybe I'll like do watch parties with my friends here. But last week, two of my girlfriends, they were like, we want to watch, you know, the premiere episode since we won't be able to be with you on premiere night. So the other night I had a bunch of friends my friend hosted at her house and we were there with like our husbands who like, they all are awesome and they have watched the show in its entirety, like with their wives. So like they were really game, which was cool because, you know, not really their demographic, but good sports about it. And so we just watched and drank a ton of wine and I intend to continue that and going to need people around me for the final episode because I'll be inconsolable probably. Are you happy with how it wraps itself up? I am. Um, the the writers came to me and they were like, hey, this is how we're thinking of ending Jane's story. What do you think? And I was really pumped about it. So I'm excited for fans to see it. I think that all of the girls end up exactly where they're supposed to. And so I hope that everybody sees it as the love letter that it was intended to be. If you haven't watched The Bold Type, you know, it's a show that like Sarah watches I mean, I think because she's friends with you, but it's also like very much like a Sarah show. If so, fact so, I watch the show. And I will say that in the same way that Sex in the City drew me in, your guys' show has done the same thing where I find myself like rooting for characters and hating characters. And it's a really, really fun ride that I think that your guys' show takes you on. And the most powerful thing about, I feel like the show is... It really is empowering for women. When you get offered to do a show like this, is that like the thing that you're thinking about? Oh my God, this is going to be really empowering for a lot of young women, or is it just need a job? A little bit of both. I mean, when I booked this show, I had just, the other show I was on faking, it had just been canceled. So I think that I was really lucky that this came around so quickly. I remember um, having a meeting at Freeform because like after you basically get fired from another job when something gets canceled. You have to go on all these meetings to other casting people from different networks and stuff. And it's like a really weird and awkward thing because you're like sitting in front of people and you're like, please think I'm great and put me in something. And I sat down at Freeform and they were like, we love faking it. Here are some shows that we're doing. And they like pitched the show. It originally was called Issues. And they were like, it's kind of like Sex in the City meets Devil Wears Prada. And I was like, wow, two things I really love. And then when I read the script, like I wasn't expecting 
to feel so empowered by it. Like it sounded just like, oh, that's a fun concept. And I even, even from the pilot, I couldn't have imagined like where the show would go in terms of like talking about important issues, but like still being funny and still being lighthearted. And, you know, I think that we found that kind of niche, which was really cool, but it, it definitely was the initial part of it was definitely like, I, I need a job. Please think I'm right for this. I talked to Sarah about this a lot. I'm not the head of any studio, but I do believe that the trick to making a successful show is having all team players working on the thing, be friends on and off camera. I think this comes from like my reality TV world where like authenticity is just so evident. Even if you're an amazing actor, I still feel like the audience can pick up like whether or not you actually like these people or like it's a true bond. You know, with modern, Sarah like loves Jesse Tyler. Can't say uh, more nice things about Ty Burrell. I had to f***ing ask her mom on the show if it was okay to marry her. Like it was a truly like tight knit crew. Yeah. And then after going to your wedding and meeting your co-stars, it seems like, and I don't really know, because I don't really know them that well. We went to like a beer festival after your wedding, but like, it <laughs> seemed like to me that you guys really do have like this really tight knit bond. I mean, first of all, asking anybody to fly from Canada to Nashville, <laughs> like that's an entire day of travel. Yeah. Like they had to love me to <laughs> go to my wedding and every single one of them was there. And it like was so amazing to have them all there. I entirely agree. Like, I don't think if we didn't like each other, I don't think that the show would have done what it did. And it's not to say that we don't like bicker like sisters and, you know, get pissed off at each other and like have moments where I'm like, I don't want to talk to you right now. Like, we absolutely do, but so is life when you spend nine months out of a year with the same group of people for, you know, five years. You can always tell. I can always tell when I watch a show and I'm like, oh, that actor is difficult. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I'm also like, what a bad vibe. I like, I get nervous for whatever's next because I'm like, what if I get anxiety about thinking about what if somebody's like not cool? Like what, what if I have like a love interest who sucks or what if I have to play best friends with somebody that I can't stand? I like mostly everybody, but like, I can't say that like people won't find me annoying or won't, you know, not want to be around me or maybe they're not people, people. So it, it does give me anxiety. Somebody asked us in an inter interview, how do you feel thinking about the next time you walk on a set? It's not going to be with these two people. And it didn't register to me until she said that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh gut punch the final season the bold type it's on freeform wednesdays 10 p.m eastern if you don't have freeform you can watch it on uh hulu and i think even youtube tv it's a truly <laughs> wonderful show most of my demo is female so this is a good show for everyone listening but if you're like me and a guy i also think that you'd really really enjoy it because i really enjoy the show is there any thought of a movie down the road Oh, we've talked about it a million times. Yeah. I've already been like, hey, Wendy, our showrunner. I'm like, just like start thinking about writing it. <laughs> yeah. Like we all kind of need a couple years off. But like I know that every single person who's a part of the show is like super down to do that. And I'm like, Sex and the City did three of them. Yeah. We can do one. <laughs> and you guys all like each other. So it yeah. should be. <laughs> Aisha always says that like we want to leave that door open for when we're all struggling to collect coins mm -hmm. in a couple years.
that we could be like, hey, um, we need jobs. Do you want to do a bull type movie? <laughs> I like it. Anything else you want to talk about the show before we pivot over to my portion of the podcast? I realized this morning that I haven't talked about this. Yeah. But my brother is on the first in the first two episodes. Really? Yeah. And it's really fun because he's been auditioning for the show and like it was really important to him that like he got the role not because he was my brother so I kind of like even though I put in a good word I like kind of like took a step back and so he got this role which was also awesome because it's not any scenes with me he got to like have his own experience of it which was really fun but it was just so exciting because I like got to just like chill like a stage mom behind set and just be like watching him and it was just awesome to be on set because I've always said I want to be like the Gyllenhaals and the Cusacks and stuff. He's like brother-sister duos. <laughs> what part does he play in the show? So he plays a character called Joey Falk, who at the end of last season, the Alex character got called out in an article online. And basically this guy questioned his like masculinity because he didn't step up for his girlfriend in this moment where she was being harassed. And so because Alex's feelings were hurt, he decided to go on a deep dive of Joey's Instagram or Twitter and found like a homophobic tweet from the past and like resurfaced it, even though it had been like eight years ago. It's actually like a really cool story that I think, um, you know, not just because I'm excited my brother's on the show, but I think cancel culture is really crazy right now. And it's kind of a story about how like, yes, there are certain situations where there are people that deserve to be canceled. But if somebody said something, you know, 10, 20 years ago that was hurtful and that they regret, but they've done so many things that are good in the world from that point to try to like grow and become a better person from, that's also a part of the equation that needs acknowledging because if somebody's like doing the work, isn't the point of bringing out somebody's flaws so that they can like learn from them and become better. It's, it's a cool conversation that I really love that we kind of create for people to have on the show. I think it's awesome that you guys are tackling that. And yeah, what an amazingly timely issue. <laughs> That's awesome for your brother as well. So tell him yeah. congratulations for me. I will. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I don't even know if you know what this show is, but it's origin stories. I'm just fascinated with where people came from and how the hell they got here. I want to hear your entire journey to getting onto this stupid podcast. For those people out there that only know Katie from the bold type, I feel like you're going to be shocked to hear what happened beforehand. <laughs> Maybe not though. I don't know. You down with that? Down. All right. Quick break. We come back. Katie Stevens from the bold type here on the Wells cast. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They 
burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in the Wells cast, star of The Bold Type, which airs on Freeform Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. You can also watch it on Hulu. The final season... Begins airing uh, tomorrow, May 26th. It is an absolutely phenomenal show. It's funny. It's got heart. They talk about serious stuff. You said it before, which I think is a good analogy for it. It's Sex and the City meets Devil Wears Prada. And it's also really empowering for young women who are trying to carve out amazing career in a male-dominated world. And I think it's just a really, really great show. And I'm sad it's ending, but I'm happy that it allows me the chance to talk to you. I am so excited because I've been friends now with you for a couple of years, but I don't really know the intricacies of your genesis, like your origin story. What part of it do you want to know? <laughs> I, I want to know all of it. Here's what I know about Katie. Katie is Portuguese like me. She can speak Portuguese fluently, which I cannot do, which is embarrassing. I know you went on a reality TV show and I know then you pivoted over and became this like powerhouse actress. And I know that you're like best friends with my fiance and your husband is like the coolest. And I like him a whole lot. I want to hang out with him more. So let's go back to the beginning. You're from you're from the East Coast, right? Yes, I'm from Connecticut. And we talked about your brother earlier. Is it only you two or... Are there other siblings? 
It's just the two of us. And then I, I also know that since we did our DNA tests, there have been no other children that have popped up. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> two of us. <laughs> That's like a thing, though. Like that happens. It, it does. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so you were born in Connecticut. Were you are you the older of the two or the younger of the two? I'm actually the youngest okay. and like everyone's always shocked by that for some reason. And my brother will always say like, I'm older, but she's older. Yeah. I love that I have a sibling. Um, I have a couple friends that are only children and they're also thriving, but I feel like when the time comes to have children, like based on how me and my brother grew up, I was like, I want my, I want my kid to have a buddy. Yeah. I'm the youngest of five. It's important to have a bunch of other assholes around you, if nothing else, to make you look a little bit better. Cause there's always, you know, there's always one. Oh, like especially if they're all older than you, they all, <laughs> they all like mess up way before you. So yeah. it's like you watch them make mistakes and then it's not that you don't make the same ones. You just like get better at hiding it. Yeah. My parents just stopped caring really by the time I came around. Were you always an entertaining child? Were you putting on plays or singing for anyone who would listen growing up? I mean, yeah. My parents, when my brother and I were really young, they were trying to figure out like a summer camp for us to go to because they both had like nine to fives and they needed us to be at camp from nine to five. So the only one that was like all day was an acting camp where it was like two weeks and then at the end you put on a play. So my brother was the first one to do that acting camp. We all sang and like karaoke on holidays was big at my house and my parents knew I loved to sing and my brother sang. But then we all showed up to my brother's musical and like we didn't know he was the lead and he was like <laughs> one of the leads in Oliver and he started singing. My parents we're looking at each other and looking at me and we were all like, did you know he could do that? And we were like, no. <laughs> and then watching my brother do it just made me want to do it because I wanted to be like my brother. And so I kind of followed, followed in his footsteps in auditioning and, you know, being in the background and singing. My parents always had me singing for people, but there was a couple years where when I would sing for people, I would make them turn around because I didn't want them to look at me because mm -hmm. I think I was just like too nervous. And now people ask me like, what would you rather sing in front of 10,000 people or like 10? And I'm like 10,000 because when you're, you're in a room of 10 people and this must be where I got it from back then, if you mess up or if people don't think you're good, the room is kind of small and you can see everybody's face. Yeah. But like 10,000 people, there's like lights. You can't see anybody. You hear them. You don't see them. So it's like weirdly less nerve wracking. At 16, you went and auditioned for American Idol, right? Yes. So that's funny because that's the dichotomy you were just talking about. You had to sing for like just a couple of people and then you had to sing for a lot of people. What was that experience like? Now that I'm an actor and I go into auditions all the time and, you know, sometimes you're hearing somebody through the wall doing the same audition that you're about to do. The audition for American Idol was kind of like being in the worst audition room you've ever been in because like you're hearing everyone, like especially at the stadium part, everyone is just like singing out loud. They like don't care. And you're hearing all of these people and you're like, that person's better than me. That person's better than me. 
and then it's it's a weird thing that nobody really realized because when you watch the show, it kind of makes it look like the judges see all 10,000 people that are at that stadium. And it's like split up into months of auditions. So you do the first one and it's like cattle calls of people singing and you go in front of two producers and they're like, you, you and you, you're not what we're looking for. You, you're going in the back to fill out a questionnaire. And so then... I made it through that. And then two months later, I made it through an executive producer around. And then I made it through to the judges. And then you go to Hollywood week and everyone's really good. And it's really scary. And then when you start to get to the live shows, it's still not that nerve wracking because you're performing in front of like 100 to 200 people. And you know that there are millions of people on the other end. And and that doesn't really become prevalent until, you know, you're finding out who gets eliminated. And thankfully, you know, Twitter wasn't that big. Like, I think American Idol actually created my Twitter account for me. Yeah. So you were, like, seeing people say, like, good job, loved you. And that was kind of like my first introduction to the Twitterverse. Like occasionally I would, I would get people who would like say something that was like not so nice, but I didn't really know enough to look at Twitter in that way back then. And I'm thankful that I didn't because I can't imagine what those contestants have to go through now. But when we started performing in front of a lot of people, that was when we got to go on tour. And that was like the best time of my life. I could do that. The adrenaline of walking on a stage with a arena full of people screaming for you is unlike anything that I've ever felt in my life. It's cute. But like now that I look back, I was like, it's kind of cheesy. Like we like <laughs> all sing cover songs and like we do like group numbers where we all learned like harmonies to sing together. But it was like fun and everybody enjoyed the show. But everybody has their own individual kind of mini concerts. Yeah. And yeah. so like I think I was the third or fourth person up in the show and I got to come out and, you know, perform two songs with the band and, you know, all the screens are going behind me. And I got to play at Mohegan Sun, which was like my hometown show. And like at, literally like my whole high school was there. Like it was the coolest thing ever. Um, but I think we were kind of the last American Idol tour that did a lot of shows. Like we did, I think we did something like 55 cities in three months which was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, especially with COVID, there's no concerts, but I'm not really sure now what the American Idol concerts look like. I've had a lot of people from the American Idol universe on this show, and I know a bunch of them as well, just from living in Nashville as long as I have. And so this question gets answered differently by everybody. But when you look back was that a positive experience or one that you could like take it or leave it? I think it was a positive experience for many reasons. I think the thing that I say take it or leave it was my voice and my like knowledge of myself back then. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I would, I a hundred percent would not be doing what I'm doing right now had I not done that show. Cause I probably would have like I was applying to college when I did American Idol and I was ready to go to college and major in like music business and like maybe become a manager or an agent to like help other people since I didn't know how to help myself. 
you know, I think it's really hard being 16 and being on the show and doing something that you love to do, immediately getting judged for it after. And my comments from the judges were things like, we just don't think you know who you are. And I'm like, of course I don't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 16 years old. Did you know who you were when you were 16? Like, I think like the expectation of people to like, who are coming from the middle of nowhere places who have never done anything like this before, the expectation for them to know exactly what they want to do in music, exactly who they want to be as an artist with no prior experience. Like, I think that I'm still figuring that out for myself and I'm 28. Yeah. So I feel like that's a never ending process for anybody who's creative or in music in, in any capacity. When do you pivot over from doing American Idol to acting? I mean, I knew you obviously always did it, but when did you make that mental decision to now I'm going to do this? So I was doing after Idol, I was writing songs a lot. I was performing places out here in LA. Um, and I was working with somebody and was hit with like a production deal that essentially was like, if you get signed by a label, you know, we get half of your writing and like your publishing, we would get a percentage if you did a movie, if you did a commercial, if you would like done any of this stuff. And it was like really bad and really sad. And I had just signed on with new managers who were like, if you say goodbye to this, you know, we'll help you find other stuff. And then I said goodbye to that. And then the other stuff they were setting me up with was like not great. And I felt really discouraged and I kind of was in a dark place and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with music. I'm quitting. I hate it. I hate how I feel doing it right now. And I emailed cause I was with uh, CAA for music through getting signed there through American Idol. And I knew they had an acting department naive, you know, 17, almost 18 year old me was like, Oh, I could just email them and, and get an agent. <laughs> And so I emailed them and I was like, hey, like, can I meet with somebody from the acting department? And they were like, sure. <laughs> and so I like went to the CAA office and was like immediately overwhelmed. That office is like made of marble and like very bougie and crazy. And I sat down with um, this agent, Aaron Cully. And I remember like amping myself up on the way there being like, okay you're not your most confident right now, but you're going to put on your big girl pants and you are going to, you know, pretend that you are. And I walked into the meeting and like my opening line I had prepared was like, I know you get a lot of singers in here that say they want to act, but like, you just tell me what I got to do and I'm going to do it. Like, I'll go to whatever classes you want. I'll like do whatever workshops and what, like had this whole like speech prepared. And she just looked at me and she just goes, okay didn't ask to see me act like I could have been terrible. Yeah. But and I probably was at that time because I had, you know, done musicals and stuff. Then, you know, they had emailed me a bunch of like acting classes to go check out and yeah, casting workshops when those were a thing. Um, and so I just started doing them and the world of acting became less intimidating to me for some reason, even though it's still an intimidating thing to be going out and getting rejected every day. But yeah, I just like got an agent and started auditioning for stuff. 
What's your like credo for success? Do you have one? I think it it changes, but it's always been fundamentally that there's nothing about this that will change my life in terms of my spectrum of happiness. Like I've always been a person who's known that, you know, if you get auditions, you might not get the role. If you get the role, it might not go past a pilot. If it goes past a pilot, it could end after five seasons. Like you can't base your happiness and like how far you're gonna get in this career because at one point, a job ends and you're kind of back to square one. So for me, like, I've always just done my best in every audition. And then I shred my sides when I leave and I don't think about it. And I make sure that like my focus then becomes what can I do in the meantime to just make myself feel creatively fulfilled? And where do I cultivate my happiness outside of this? Because I'm like, if I cultivate my happiness outside of what this career gives me, then I can have happiness way longer than if I'm like basing my happiness on like what job is next. So, I mean, I, you know, have a beautiful house and I have a beautiful husband and a beautiful dog and a wonderful family. And I sing and I write and I do all of these other things to make myself creatively fulfilled. But I don't put all my eggs in that basket. Unfortunately, I'm running out of time with you. Um, and I feel like we could just do a whole other episode. Like we haven't even touched on your husband who, I, I just got to say, he was in Boys Like Girls, which I just, yes. I mean, it's such an amazing, like weird. Do you know that story though? No, I don't. Do you want to tell it? I can tell it. I have 15 minutes and it's not that long. Okay. I saw Boys Like Girls in concert at Toad's Place in New Haven, Connecticut when I was 14. Yeah. And Paul and I never met then. But then we met seven years later in LA. And like when I found out he was in Boys Like Girls, I was like, whoa, I was at your concert when I was 14. <laughs> and that's not weird because now I'm of age. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like a weird serendipitous thing because I had always been that like hopeless romantic person going out with my friends being like, what if my husband's in this room? And my friends were like, your husband is not at this club. Yeah. The weird thing is, is I like was in the same room as my husband and never met him. How did he respond to that? I mean, he's like the most like even keel, nothing phases him yeah. kind of thing. So like I, I make situations weirder than they have to be. <laughs> so when I was like, that's not weird. He's like, I wasn't thinking it was until you said that. <laughs> I've been to your guys' house. Uh, he's got like a cool, like little recording studio back house thing. Obviously you're a very serious big time actress, but like, I would assume like me, like I grew up playing golf. I still go play golf. So like, do you go into his like little recording studio and be like, let me lay down a couple tracks. Like, let me, let me feel like I used to feel back in the day. Honestly, Like I used to, you know, when I was like heavily songwriting, um, like before I did the bold type, I would ask him to like produce my demos. Mm -hmm. But now he's like really big time and yeah. is producing all these records and like barely has time to come eat dinner with me. So like to ask him to like, can you do my demos? But it was really fun because I was trying to be more creative in the music space over quarantine. So I was like in my office, I have my own piano and like my guitars hanging on the wall. So I would like be writing stuff. And there were like a couple songs that it was fun when we were doing nothing else. He like produced them for me. 
and we got to like be creative in that way when there was nothing else to do. That's awesome. Going forward, what's something that you haven't done in your career that you'd like to go do? Ooh, um, I want to get into producing. Um, I think the bold type gave me uh, such a gift in terms of even though we weren't producers, creatively we were leaned on by you know the writers to kind of like have our voices heard and our ideas shared and you know I just watched how hard everybody who did produce the show worked and it's a space that I'm really excited about so I'm working on you know getting some projects off the ground which is exciting but also just like dream roles like I would I know me and Sarah share this would love to do like a movie musical, like would die to do a movie musical. Would die to do a movie musical with Sarah. Yeah, why don't you guys do this together? We should do it together. Um, There is video of me and Sarah very drunk one night um, singing a duet from Wicked that we'll never see the light of day because we're not in our best form. But um, I do know they're making a Wicked film, so we should be up for that. Um, this is me putting forth our campaign. <laughs> you just got to put it out in the universe and yes. it'll come and back. And then it hopefully comes back. I would love that. Before I let you go, do you have some time for uh, rapid fire questions? Love that. All right. Rapid fire questions. You know I love a game, Wells. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, rapid fire questions with Katie Stevens, the lead in The Bold Type, which airs Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern on Freeform and Hulu. The beginning of the final season starts tomorrow, so don't miss it. All right, quickly now. Would you rather be rich and sad or poor and happy? Poor and happy. Night in or night out? Night in. If you could change your name, what would you change it to? Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's <laughs> what we were looking for. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, you are enough exactly as you are because there's only one of you. That's right, Kirby. What's your favorite pizza topping? <laughs> Bacon and pineapple. What? Pineapple? Yeah. I know. I'm the weirdo who loves pineapple on my pizza. Continue. <sighs> you're that. You're that person. Wow. Not every time, though. Like no, I'm no not judgment. Like, like it's a, it's a mood. Yeah, it is. It's a vibe for sure. What's your favorite book? Uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Who's your first kiss? Oh, God. I'm pretty sure he got arrested, so I'm going to not say his <laughs> name, but uh, not his full name, but his name was Will. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. My first kiss was when I was like three years old with my best friend, Lana. So mm. Mm. Starting, starting young. Yeah. First concert you ever went to? Britney Spears. First job you ever had? I was a bus girl at a restaurant at an airport. Celebrity you've been mistaken for? Um... Uh, I'm blanking on her name, but she plays April Kepner on Grey's Anatomy. And I used to get mistaken for her when I had red hair. Last person you texted on your phone? Megan and Asia. That's not even a joke. Who would bail you out of jail? Uh, hopefully my husband, but if not, probably Megan or Asia. <laughs> or my mom. <laughs> First uh, CD you ever owned? Shania Twain. Ooh. Celebrity crush? I don't have one. Because I think it's weird that I could potentially ever be in the same room as that person and <laughs> it would make my husband uncomfortable. So I guess my husband's my celebrity crush. <laughs> Since you are a 5 tool player, what would you rather win? An Oscar, a Grammy, a Tony, 
a SAG? What what are all the things in the EGOT? An Emmy? Of all those things, what would you rather win? I, I mean, an Oscar feels like yeah. the mecca for what I do, but like any? Yeah. You can can any be my answer? Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Katie Stevens, thank you so much for being on the show. It's so wonderful to see you. So wonderful to see you. This was so fun. I hope we all get to hang out soon uh, again together. By the way, we're going to be in Nashville in November, so we need to hang out. I will be there. The Bold Type, Wednesdays, 10 p.m. Eastern, Freeform, Hulu, all that stuff. Where do people follow you if they want to um, stalk your Insta and stuff? It literally Instagram because I don't go on anything else. So my Instagram is the Katie Stevens because there are many people with my name. <laughs> is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about? You pretty much got it covered. And then off off screen, we have to discuss planning a trip to Portugal to the homeland. Yes, we must. Katie, thank you so much. You rock, dude. Thank you. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.